Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Say hello, Dan. Hello, Rob. And our guest co-host, Roger Reed, who is the Youth Specialist at Hillside Church in Moncton, New Brunswick. Say hello, Roger. Hello, Rob. And, uh, of course, Jeff Dresser is away this week, but he'll be back again next week. So, Roger, thank you uh, for flying all the way uh, from Moncton to uh, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, Mm -hmm. to uh, be on our show. Uh, I'm sure the weather in Moncton is a lot less snowy than here in Saskatchewan, so uh, good to have you here. Yeah, I was quite shocked when I landed. It was like, what's up with this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, of course, you didn't actually come all the way from Moncton. You came from somewhere else. So uh, give us us an explanation here. Why is it that you're here in, uh, in Saskatchewan? Yeah, well, my wife and I were celebrating our 29th wedding anniversary in the Turks and Caicos, and we're like, hey, let's go visit our daughter. Let's just drop it and surprise her. She's the youth pastor oh, nice. at uh, Musta Christian Alliance, yeah. right? And uh, so, yeah, stop and see her and her husband and uh, for a couple of days. Right, but we didn't prepare for this weather. You didn't, you didn't bring a parka. <laughs> no. Yeah, for our listeners who don't know, it's it's um, yeah minus like five six degrees here in uh, Saskatchewan. Yeah, we're feeling the cold. Yeah, and yeah. a little bit of snow. A little bit. How many inches? Yeah. How many inches do you think we I got here? I don't know, but plenty enough to to keep us busy shoveling for a while. Yeah, that's right. It makes yeah. the highway not very fun no. uh, right now. Um, so, uh, Roger, I I I do need to have you answer a question. What is a youth specialist? That is your actual official job title it is. on the website of, yep. your, of your church. So what is that? Yeah, even on my office door. Right? Okay. Yeah, so nice. it's good. Uh, that was a great question. Uh, so I started using uh, the title youth specialist quite a few years ago uh, when I was trying to get speaking engagements outside the local church in mm. schools and other organizations. Okay. And every time I used the word pastor, uh, you know, like, all of a sudden, people kind of looked, thought of you as like that religious person, right? right and I'm yeah. like, you know, yeah, I we think I have yeah. something to offer. <laughs> and so I just changed it and I said, you specialists. And uh, so just think of it this way, like, you know, you have a doctor, right? But he specializes like, you know, in knee injuries, right? And right. I'm like, you know, well, I'm a pastor, but I specialize in working with students. And uh, it's opened up some great doors and some great conversations. Like people always ask, what's a youth specialist? Right. right? Wow. And so, uh, so yeah, so you have the opportunity just to tell them that, you know, I work with students okay. right? and point them towards Jesus right. Right? in the context of local church. What, what, what did you think when you heard the word uh, specialist, Dan? Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Youth specialist, what is that? And I actually, I actually did think, I thought, man, if I went to my family doctor and I was having trouble with my youth... <laughs> I don't know if it's like my my personal youth or oh, my dog. My youth is hurting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then he might send me to a youth specialist, right? Yeah. So you say, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I, I always thought like specialist was the name of the job title for the guy who worked for the mob boss. He's a quote unquote specialist. <laughs> He's a specialist. <laughs> he, That's uh, right. He eliminates all opponents. Yeah. Um, Need to call in a specialist. <laughs> Well, uh, by the time this thing, uh, this podcast airs, we'll almost be at Halloween for, uh, for us right now, uh, backtracking in time. It's just six days away. So mm. um, I got a Halloween question for you guys uh, to kick things off. If money was no expense and you could dress up in any costume for Halloween, who would you like to be? Hmm. How about you, Roger? Okay. I really thought hard about this one, but I have to go with <laughs> James Bond and drive through the neighborhood in an Aston Martin. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Right? Why James Bond? 
He just, just wants the car. Just, just the car. Okay. <laughs> He's just like, yeah. Money is no issue. That's so right. I'm getting yeah. the car. Yeah. And in some way, he too is a specialist. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah, there we go. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Dan? I just want it to be any superhero that's ripped, right? Okay. It's uh-huh. just the muscles, and uh, I could probably add a few inches to my stature, and I, I just little. Little dreaming there, okay. but uh, yeah, yeah. I, it's either it's either go to the gym or or dress up for Halloween. I thought dressing up for Halloween was a yeah better yeah. option. Yeah, they actually have apps now to uh, make you look good. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking I was gonna go Aquaman, but then I thought, yeah. oh, I gotta take off my shirt, which was I mean <laughs> bad for so many reasons. Well, <laughs> let alone you know body type, but uh, also it's like I wouldn't want a trick or treat when it's chilly. minus six. Yeah, it's a little cold. Yeah. So I thought you know a, a good Saskatchewan costume would be Chewbacca. You know, right? Yeah. There you go. Okay. Long and shaggy and warm and. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even have to talk to anybody. I just, <laughs> you know, I just, that's it. Right. Yelling people. Uh, you know, Halloween is um, a little bit of a sticky point for uh, for churches sometimes. Um, you know, so churches have different postures towards mm-hmm. it. You know, it's from one spectrum where it's all evil to, you know, the other side of the spectrum, which is just, uh, whatever, just go and, mm-hmm. and trick or treat. Um, so how does your church handle it? How do, what do you guys do? Is it like a hard no? Do you create alternative events, uh, see it as a missional opportunity? Uh, what do you guys do, Dan? Well, uh, the, the church I came from yeah. in, in Calgary, we did a kind of a harvest party and okay. just made it a big event. It was an outreach event, and people did dress up. So it was like a dress yeah. up, and you get candies, you play games. And we actually did that in conjunction with our, our community association. So, mm. um, And then, you know, sometimes um, if if we did find people would get on the edge, sometimes uh, people, few people would be offended or something. We'd add little pieces like, "Hey, let's not dress scary" or this or that. But mm-hmm. um, but that that worked out good. And when we moved to Moose Jaw, um, we actually have an event that happens in town that our church just joins with another church. So, in Moose Jaw, Hillcrest Church mm-hmm. uh, runs a, a food drive on Halloween right, night. Right, 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 right. And it is not just a little food drive; it's massive. We actually gather hundreds of volunteers and we knock every single door in the city. Yeah. Walking, you yeah. know, house to house and collect food for the food bank, um, tens of thousands of pounds of food. Wow. So it, it's actually a really fun event and great for families. And sometimes kids will even dress up and join in okay. um, yeah. or just join in. They, there's a lot of kids don't dress up or families, you know, and, and uh, but young and old um, people step into that event. And that's been a really, really fun thing for our church to, to be a part of. Yeah. And, and like, and this isn't like just a few bags of groceries that you find at the, you know, in the food hamper at Safeway as people yeah. are leaving. But this is like, like you were saying truckloads. We literally... Every team, and there's dozens of teams, fill up, uh, pick up truckloads of food. Then we bring them down, get it all sorted yeah. into various, you know. Po- uh, in this major facility. Yeah, yeah. macaroni goes yeah. here, soup goes here. And that, that gets sorted by, again, hundreds of volunteers. They look like ants walking around this building. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then those get sorted into pallets, which get put on semi-trucks, which get brought. The, the food bank actually had to get a new facility. To yeah. be able to store all this right. food. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So it is it's a very, very cool event. And neat for us yeah. as a church because um it's another church that runs it. And so for us as a church just to say we just want to help. We just want to partner with, mm. with this fantastic church that's doing such a great work in our city. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean in some ways you're you're kind of redeeming the event uh, for uh, for an even better purpose, and and it's not like yeah. it's not like it's like oh we hate this Halloween event, but it's more like hey what a great opportunity to leverage Halloween. For, yeah, it for really the is good. neat, and the families that that maybe don't like Halloween yeah. can come and participate and not feel bothered. Yeah. The families that love Halloween can still come and participate, and their kids can dress up and they go door to door getting food and candy. Like mm. so, it 
it's been great for us. It's yeah. been a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, what do they, what do they do over in that wetland, the big wet rock, uh, Moncton, <laughs> New Brunswick? Uh, do they in your church? Do they uh, uh, do they practice Halloween or do they have alternate events? Yeah. Well, first of all, that's really good, Dan. That's that's awesome. Makes what we do kind of selfish. Uh, what we do, we just stand there candy. Uh, no, at the church we do this thing called trunk or treat, yeah. and we just have people and we just turn our our parking lot into a safe place for kids just to come right. and get candy. Yeah. And people, you know, decorate their trunks and different themes, hmm. and we collect candy all through Neat. the church and make sure that every kid who walks through, you know, are having a good time. Yeah. And uh, and it's more like a family event, right? right? Yeah. And because uh, a lot of parents, even though they want to celebrate Halloween, you know, they're always like, ah, not sure. you know, want something safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just try to provide a safe alternative for the neighborhood yeah. where the kids can still have fun and, yeah. you know, get, you know, so keep great. supporting the dental association. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, but a great way for yeah. the church to serve both its own families and the families of the community if they want to participate too, right? Absolutely. And the same idea. They they prefer that, you know, you don't go too scary. Sure. You know, like sure. There, there, there's a line like, hey, keep it, <laughs> keep it safe. It's for kids. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's right. right. Dress, dress up as... Uh, as as Barbie, but not as a ghost. I mean, I don't know if Bar- Barbie's that <laughs> yeah. safe. I don't know which one would scare me more. Yeah, yeah I know. Right? Yeah, each each has its own uh, yeah challenges for, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the church plant um, that I was part of in Edmonton, uh, Cross Point, um, we never had a facility. So I mean, I mean, the idea of organizing anything for Halloween we were a pop up church. Sure, so, right. um, but but actually, in terms of our, our our theology of mission, it actually didn't fit well for us because we we are very much into neighboring and very right. much into uh, people, you know, setting up their homes and their small groups as as places of of, of mission, right? So mm-hmm. we actually encouraged our, our people to to be the best place on the block. Right. Get to Halloween. know your neighbors. Yeah. Get to know the families if there's on one the night, block. Yeah. If there's yeah. one night of the week or one night of the year where actually the neighbors are all out mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. to know each other, it's Halloween. So sure, why wouldn't absolutely. you actually maybe consider being there, you know, rather than being, we didn't want to be that, that house where the kids come to the door and the lights are off yeah. and they, can, they can't get anything <laughs> and they either don't know you. And so, you know, kind of have this closed thing. So a lot of that, you know, I, I realize there are churches that have different positions on Halloween and whatnot, mm-hmm. but for us, I mean, we thought, well, I don't, we don't really see the, um, that, that it's a night of, you know, worship of evil and whatnot. For us, I think we, we just thought it's the night for worshiping Cadbury more than anything else. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> that's, it's, it's more about consumption is the God of yeah. that night rather than evil spirit. So, so we didn't have a problem with it. Um, and actually there's, uh, it's a long story and I, I won't tell it, but I mean, there's a, there was an opportunity that I had in my neighborhood when I was, my kids were very young to go out and walk with my kids mm-hmm. and um, meet other parents. And there was a, a, like a redemptive moment where that led to conversations and relationship Absolutely. with a family in our neighborhood who mm-hmm. actually eventually came to Christ nice. as a result of hmm. going out trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. So anyway, for us, that was it. It was like, hey, go out and, and do it. And um, now that we're back in Musha, I don't know what to do. It's like really cold out. So <laughs> I, I had I actually yeah. had a really good friend who's a church mm-hmm. planter who, um, he was so good at this. He he actually put like a fire pit in his front yard. He had nice. like a barbecue out there. He was, and his parents came by, they could sit down in, in lawn chairs around the fire pit while their kids went in and trick-or-treated at, at this house and gave them hot chocolate and like hot food if mm. they wanted to mm. while they sat there. And he got to know all of his neighbors, like long conversations with them. So, uh, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I don't, right. Is there a way we could redeem Halloween? I don't know. Right. I don't know. Well, it is, you know, it, it, the old English is holy evening. Yeah. Like Halloween. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, All Hallows Eve. It's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, so in the in the church calendar, it was like nice to redeem it. Event. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah. yeah. If there right. was a way. So. Reformation Sunday, even. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, hello. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if we can just find ways just to continue to engage our community, right? And if Halloween is a way for us to engage our community, mm-hmm. right? Let's engage our community. Yeah. Right. You know, all things work together. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, but. And, you know, of course, for our listeners, you're going to have your convictions and whatnot, and we've mm-hmm. just uh, yeah. Okay, one more thought on it. this. Okay, so just, here just, we go. Because I grew up, uh, my my parents were very sincere followers of Jesus. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, we we did so. You know, as a kid, we're four boys, and yeah. you know, Halloween's coming, and what are we going to do? And we had friends doing all different kinds of things. And uh, honestly, my parents were conflicted on it. They, mm-hmm. they some years. They were in, and we yeah. would dress up and go door to door. And then other years, they were like, nope, lights are off, and we're hiding out. Yeah. And then other years, we like handed out candy, but didn't go get candy. And some years, it was like hand out tracks with candy. And yeah. so it was all over the map. But mm. uh, my memory as a kid was that my parents were sincerely trying to honor God yeah. and be yeah. a blessing. Yeah. And um, honestly, all of those different ways were positive for me as a kid. Yeah, like, like none of them did I go away from go. Oh, I can't believe or yeah. that somehow wounded me or something. So I, I just encourage young families wrestle with it and yeah. work out what's going to yeah. honor God That's for good. your family, right? And and trust God with the you know the results and uh, and and whichever path you land on there, um, do it with the, with the right motives. And yeah. I think it'll. That, that'll make a bigger difference than what it is you do. Yeah, that's, that's great. Good. Yeah, and I think that doxological pursuit of glorifying God and all you do is what's most important. Yeah. Right. Yeah, are you, are, you, are you doing this for what reason? And uh, yeah, good word, good yeah. word. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes just <laughs> fun. Sure. Go have some. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can Christians have fun? Uh, Really? Yes, a hundred percent. Right. If not, then what's the point? I I don't see that word in the Bible. Says the youth specialist. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I am a specialist. I say we can have fun. (laughs) Well, Roger, you just Mm. came back from a sabbatical. uh, what, what, on wor- what in the world is a sabbatical? And uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that? We, maybe give us some highlights of that? Yeah. Well, so technically, I'm still on my sabbatical. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, it's not over yet. So um, I've been really enjoying it. At first, I was like, yeah, go take the sabbatical and basically just take time off from hmm. doing my regular job. Just kind of take a breather and just kind of do some soul care. Hmm. Right. And, uh, and I really needed it. Right. So when the opportunity came, I said, yeah, guys, I think I'm going to lean into sabbatical in the busiest time in the church calendar, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When everything yeah. is starting back up and there was some panic, right? But we figured it out. And uh, so for me, I decided that um, I needed to get away. And so I actually uh, did two Caminos uh, in Spain and I hiked wow. a little over eight. Two. Yeah, I wow. did the Norte wow. and then I went down to the Primitivo. And I uh, so want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I did a little over 800 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Nice. Right, and by the end of it, I was, I was a wreck, man. Yeah, like my feet yeah, hated yeah. me. Yeah. All right, but uh, it was so good, just that solitude, and you know, like you're like days walking and not seeing anybody until wow. you get to your little hotel and and you saw people, but you couldn't speak the language. And <laughs> but it was so good for me, and just to have that time, just to really. You know, uh, I called it my strength Camino and just lean into Isaiah. They, they'd wait upon the Lord to be mm. renewed in her strength. Mm. And I knew I was at a point in my life I was depleted, mm, right? right? And I was faking it pretty good. And so, but the Camino was so good. And um, yeah, um, I just think it's exactly what I needed. So when I go back now and resume youth ministry, yeah. um, man, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like, I just feel... 
Well, and listeners probably aren't aware of this, but when we say you're a youth specialist, you're an old youth specialist. So you're not a yeah, young guy. No. You're, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't feel that old. But yeah, you you've been, been, yeah. been finished 25, like 30 yeah. years yeah. old, right? But... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I just started. So I just did uh, 10 years at Hillside yeah. and looking forward to the next 10 years. And But I just hit 30 years of youth ministry. Nice. Wow. And, Good for you. Uh, love it. Mm. Right. Yeah. I've never been one of those guys that looked at it as, you know, that stepping stone. Yeah. yeah. Like, Let's go, right? Like, you know, let's make a difference. I mean, we get to work with teenagers and yeah. point them towards Jesus and partner with parents and faith formation after kids. Ah, just, yeah. it's yeah. just so good. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this is your first sabbatical in th- 30 years of ministry, yeah. right? Yeah, because, well, the reality is most youth pastors, right, are, are not offered a sabbatical. It's always for the senior pastor, right? right? right. And so I was like, hey, we're sending our senior pastor, and, and we love our senior pastors, sure. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we cheer them on. And, I mean, Jerry, our senior pastor, he took a sabbatical mm. last year, came back so refreshed. He needed it. It was so good. I mean, um, so, I mean, I just, I really believe that if you're in full-time youth ministry for 10 years or more, you need to yeah, lean into yeah. that break. And, you know, and, and not just a weekend, Right, plan it, and you know, and churches need to just put some money behind it and support them, mm. um, because healthy leaders, yeah, you know, for sure, uh, we see so many leaders just fizzle out, burn out. Yeah, and, yeah, we need to take care of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. resiliency, mm-hmm. and, and we're mm-hmm. seeing such a, a, a loss of pastors right yeah. now, and good pastors, good pastors. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not yeah. because they're running out of things to say or do; they're just tired, yeah. right? Exactly. You know, and yeah. so you know. Like the, this, this sabbatical for me has been life giving. Yeah. Like I, I messaged my senior pastor. I said, every time, thank you for this gift. Right. You know, yeah. thank you for this gift. Yeah. Right. And Very that's cause cool. that's what it is. Yeah. Very right? cool. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, and we're not the only field that does sabbaticals. I mean, like even yeah. like tax accountants do. Mm-hmm. So, like I have a friend who's mm-hmm. a, a tax accountant in a major firm. Like she, she's a major partner Yeah. and they factor in uh, sabbaticals okay. for yeah. them so they mm-hmm. can take it. So there are other industries that do it. So, you know, I know that the pushback we might get from our parishioners sometimes is, well, I never get to take a sabbatical. But, <laughs> you know, I think the challenge of pastoral ministry is mm-hmm. you're always on. Yeah. Like, it's hard to shut it off. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's in so much a part of it. I mean, I mean, even with the best boundaries you create in your own personal life and work life, it's still... So the weight is always is always there. Um, yeah, and it almost feels like a backpack. Think of it this way. Yeah, you know, hmm. and that was my challenge, right? Okay, I need to let go of this backpack, and I didn't know how. Like I'll be honest, sure. with you. I had no yeah. no clue. Yeah. Like how do I let this go? Hmm. You know, because your ministry is always on your mind. It's like you just don't you know punch in and punch out. Right. You know, yeah. you you punch in. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and it's just like you said, Rob. We're just always. Um, and ready to go when that call or that text sure. comes in. Yeah. All right, you know, and uh, yeah. So Dan, uh, sabbatical is. Have you ever taken a sabbatical? Yeah. So I'm 25 years yeah. in. Actually, more than that now. I guess. Mm, wow. Uh, yeah. 28, and I've never taken one. So I'm listening yeah. eagerly. Um, and I actually <laughs> yeah. have done a lot of study on it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, great respect for it. I have lots of friends who've mm-hmm. done it. Uh, so I'm I'm definitely keen and, and interested, and there's been various things. One of the challenges I had, funny enough, so I, I came close to the edge a few times and thought about the sabbatical because yeah. I needed it, which mm-hmm. isn't always the best time to do it. You know, right. sometimes yeah, it's yeah, better to do it. Just when needs you, to be a rhythm. Don't yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, uh, in those times when my kids were little, I really struggled to find a way to take significant time off right. and do what. Like I'm like mm-hmm. stay at home mm-hmm. like that for me that is not oh the worst uh, yeah. yeah so mm-hmm. I just 
uh, really, really struggled with that. And I, I would love to see some models of people with little kids who mm-hmm. who find a way to sabbatical somehow. And, and our family is very uh, would do everything together. So yeah. just interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah. Um, but over the years, I have taken extra time off. And yeah. I've certainly gone to our board and said, hey, guys, I'm tired in this season. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I do regular weeks of prayer where I just go away and and uh, take a week to be alone and in a retreat center yeah. kind of setting. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So all of those things have been helpful, but I, I am a big uh, applauder of sabbaticals from the sideline <laughs> and uh, need yeah. to be released of my hypocrisy a little yeah. bit there. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, but but you got to plan it. Like you just like right. you said, you just can't. Okay, well I'm taking time off, and I'm just going to stay home and do yard work. Right. You know, yeah, right. like I, I couldn't do that. I'm like, if I'm going to take a sabbatical, I need to leave the country. I right. need to, yeah, I, like totally disconnect from everything. You yeah. know, and uh, but I'm also in the season where my kids are grown. Exactly. All my two yeah. kids are married. Yeah. My youngest is 22. They're on their own. Sharon has her career. So for me to disappear for 40 days in the yep. wilderness, yep. right? Uh, it was perfect. Right. The yeah. timing was right. The timing and was I right. think the sure. timing has to work for anyone taking even even a vacation. Exactly. Right? You exactly. Know, and you plan it and you put it on the calendar and you go, this is my time to be renewed. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's just it. I mean, you have to, I, I mean, I've heard of so many failed sabbaticals mm-hmm. because they didn't plan. Yeah. They just mm. did it. They started sure. doing it. And then mm-hmm. two months in, they realized, oh my goodness, I totally wasted my time here. I didn't, I didn't have something yeah. planned out and plotted out and thought through. And I mean, that's when, mm-hmm. you know, when you do the research on sabbaticals, that's what they say is you got to have a plan. Have a plan. Have yeah. a plan for and your you, sabbatical. You got to get away. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole idea. And so you have to budget it, you know, like yeah. it costs money. Yeah. Do every little thing. Sure. You know, absolutely. And so. Uh, and you know, at the end of it, you don't want to go feel like you wasted money, right? Yeah. You want to go, I invested this into my future, yeah. right? I'm going to be better, but more importantly, my family's going to be better yeah. because I'm better. You know, my church is going to be better because I'm going to be a better leader. You know, and yeah. uh, if it. not, we just burn out. And what, yeah. what do we do? Yeah, we so quit. good. Yeah, no, right? that's helpful. And I mm-hmm. love how you call it a gift as mm-hmm. well, like because yeah. I, I think if. If you're living with it almost as an expectation, mm-hmm. yeah. and then you're like, "Oh, my board, or my pastor, or my this mm-hmm. or that," and you, you know, you can just frustrate yourself. It'll it's just true. add to your yeah. tiredness, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, sabbatical is rooted in the concept of Sabbath, right? Exactly. So, and Sabbath could be could be that it could be a shackle or it could be a gift, right? right. Yeah. And God gave it to us as a gift, right? Something mm-hmm. to be enjoyed <laughs> okay. um, rather than something legalistic. Sabbatical to... is made for the pastor, not the pastor for the exactly, sabbatical. exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. But some people don't even know how to sabbatical well, like take a day. Off. Sabbath, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, Sabbath, well, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and then that was me. Like, you know, like hmm. I get a day off, and you know, my wife's working. I got like no kids. Well, I mean, we, sure, where we live, there's really not a whole lot to do because everything's done. Yeah, and it's like, well, we're gonna stay home watch Netflix. Right. Well, right. You know what? I'll get together with this person, this person, we'll go for a hike here. And, you know, yeah. and so you're not really taking a day off. Right. And yeah. so when I lean into the sabbatical, someone actually said to me, You don't even know how to take your day of rest. How are you right. going to take this long? Wow. And I went, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. And I said, So I need to go away. Yeah. Right. And that was the only option get on a plane, go away, and wreck my body. Right. Yeah, because after 800-something kilometers, the heat and the, yeah, yeah, it was very cool. Well, I, I only took one sabbatical yeah, yeah. Uh, so far, and that was eight years into my church plant. Okay. Um, and I, I was tired, but um, I was also planning for it, So, but I was like Bilbo Baggins, butter scraped across too much toast. That's how right. I felt, like yep. I was just a little ragged. Um, 
but man, it was the best thing I ever did. But for 25 mm. minute years of ministry, I didn't do it. I wow. didn't take a okay. Sabbath yep. or mm -hmm. sabbatical. And so I was like, why was, why was I not doing this before? Mm. But then I looked back and I realized I never stayed in the church long enough right. to take a sabbatical. Sure. So that's the challenge is if, if you're, you know, every five years you're jumping into something else. And mm -hmm. for me, it was jumping into school and out of school and a couple of bad church experiences and whatnot that I never earned the Sabbath. Right. So, um, even so think about that. You're running 25 years. Right. You, you know, I didn't have a break between jobs basically. No. Like I just jumped into the next job yeah. and, uh, never had that rest. So when I did, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. like it was, it was, I'm convinced now, man, if I can take a Sabbath, I'm going to a sabbatical. Right. I'm going to take a sabbatical yeah. for sure. It was so worth it. Yeah. yeah. Well, being able to mm -hmm. offer a healthy self mm -hmm. to uh, your family, to your ministry. I mean, that's, that's worth a lot. Yeah. Right. Uh, a tenth of me mm -hmm. grinding it out yes. is not nearly as good as yeah. all of me, you 100%. know, yeah. serving. And that that those uh, rhythms of rest are yeah. part of that. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And sometimes I find that we as church leaders, you know, we we give so much, right? Mm -hmm. And we expect this is just what's required of me, and we just don't know how to you know, pour back in. Right. Like, yeah, we do our devotions and we have our time with God and that's great. Yeah. But I mean, even Jesus said, hey, guys, wait for me here. I'll be back in a couple of days. Hmm. You know, like he himself got away, yeah. you know, and renewed himself for the mission at hand. <laughs> and uh, and if he had to do it, how much more do we need to do it? Right. And uh, yeah. Um, so, so Dan. Yeah. Look into your calendar. All right. Find that time. Right. We're going to hold you accountable. Yeah. Block it off. So, right. so we'll even come into your board. We'll have those conversations <laughs> that's right, for that's you. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's that's right. the big thing is is mm -hmm. having that conversation sometimes with the board can be mm -hmm. be challenging. I know for us, we um, I it wasn't on the radar of my board, and so I had to put it on their radar. And then I, I found some good research, some good policies that I'd found for sabbatical. Mm -hmm. Um, some good documents, um, like a kind of a contract covenant, and I presented that to them. Right. And I didn't do it like the day before I was leaving. I mean, I, I gave yep. them like six months out, you know, yep. and then have a plan for the rest of the team right. while I'm right. on sabbatical. Right. What's this be responsible. Look like for them? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and in doing all that, I mean, uh, that doing the legwork on that really helped my board to, you know, sure. to understand the, you know, mm -hmm. to get their heads around it and their hearts around it as well. Yeah. Um, is there uh, some information, Roger, that you'd be willing to share with our listeners if uh, they're interested in um, <laughs> any place yeah. you could send us or any? any... Yeah, I mean, uh, they definitely can uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm sure in the show notes, you can put my email yeah, address yeah, there. Yeah, put your email in the show notes. And, you know, and if you're a lead pastor out there and you're looking for a sabbatical policy, I mean, we can share ours with you, yeah. right, mm -hmm. and how it's laid out. And uh, but if you're a lead pastor and you're listening, right, and you got a youth pastor that's sticking around yeah, yeah. more than ten years, uh, yes. you know, and like give them that gift, like to restore them, because it's a lot easier to you know give your leaders that break to restore them than have them leave and you try to replace them, right? You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like who wants to be doing that? Well, uh, we yeah. I mean we wrote it into our employee policy manual for mm -hmm, for our mm -hmm. Crosspoint that. All mm -hmm. pastoral staff are eligible for a sabbatical at seven years. So I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. and, I, and I had one of my staff members like, I can't wait till you're seven. I'm gonna, you, I saw you do it. I want to do it. Yeah, but that's incentive to stick around, right? Sure, true. You know? Yeah. And, and even at even at Hillside, uh, we even have Q days where we can block off outside of our vacation Sundays. They're just Q days. They're Sundays that you can just take off and just mm, go. Right. Don't right. don't come to church. Don't yeah. don't be there and just. 
these extra little perks along the way. Yeah, right? one, one church I was at, had, it was called the QWO, so it's okay. quarterly weekend off. So mm -hmm. every quarter okay. you can take a weekend off away from Sunday morning and just... Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, we want you there on Sundays. I mean, that's, that's right, really right. important because yes. that's important when people day. are there. You mm -hmm. can yep. care for them and minister to them. Mm -hmm. But there were four times a year where, you know, you and your family wanted to leave Dodge. And it's not yeah. vacation time. Not vacation. That's different right. than vacation. That's right. right. Yeah. 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 And again, you know, you're just investing into the people that are investing into you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we're not, we're not offering people... Hundred thousand dollar salaries uh, or, or million dollar <laughs> salaries, <laughs> but we can incentivize yeah. with uh, vacation yeah. uh, or rest. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's really a necessary yeah. part of it. So mm -hmm. great. Okay, mm -hmm. well, guys, uh, this weekend on the podcast we have Ron Baker. Uh, he's going to be talking about small churches, and Ron is the director of the Canadian Small Church Ministry. And as you know, the majority of churches across Canada yeah. are in fact small churches, like under 200. And right. so uh, I know this is going to be an important conversation for our listeners. So looking forward to yeah. uh, everybody hearing that and getting some feedback on that. So thanks for joining me today, Dan. Thank good you. to have you here. And uh, Roger, thanks for yeah, joining us here. In the hey, show. thank yeah. you so much for the invite. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Awesome. Right. Thanks. Well, hey, we are excited to have with us Ron Baker. He is the director of Canadian Small Church Ministry Center. And uh, Ron, I just want to say welcome to the Church in the North podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Well, so glad to be in the North. I, I, I wish, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't put any snow out lately, so we're all right. We're good, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Hey, um, Ron, let's get right into it. Why don't you yeah. tell everybody a little bit about your current role with the Canadian Small Church Ministry Center? What is it that you do there? All right. Well, I direct the Canadian Small Church Ministry Center. It is a it is sponsored by uh, Small Church Connections here in Canada, out of Ontario. And uh, the Canadian Small Church Ministry Center was actually an idea put together a few years ago at a forum, we had uh, a group of people that were talking about small churches and what do we do about small churches? And at that forum, they had suggested that we put together a resource center, uh, a place where we can um, have information about small churches because it was not uh, at that point and certainly even still, uh, we're working towards having a much larger presence of small churches. So the Canadian Small Church Ministry Center began there uh, one of our great focus or foci right now is the whole area of podcasts and podcasting of small churches, both pastors, those that deal with it mm -hmm. academically, denominationally. And so that, that takes up a bit of time and then just uh, gathering resources. We have a website, uh, cscmc.ca. I love acronyms. Uh, <laughs> small Church Ministry Center.ca, CSC mc.ca <laughs> you must be in the alliance denomination because we love yeah. our acronyms in oh, the we do. dexcom <laughs> yeah um hey uh you, you know a lot a lot of people might be a little bit confused when they think small church immediately they jump to rural church but mm -hmm. i think the the definition is much bigger than that i wonder if you could flesh that out a little bit for our listeners well certainly uh i i personally have been uh part of a small church in a rural setting and so Definitely, there is uh, there is that whole area. But to look much broader, small churches have many things in common. 
Even if they're in an urban center, you'll find that uh, a small church has has many things in common. So what we've done, particularly with a small church uh, ministry center, is say, this is about churches wherever they are. Uh, we generally, arbitrarily, I would say, say under 150 people would be a small church. And so we work with what makes a small church? How does it work? A lot of those things. So that if that flushes it out a little bit, I could throw a few more bones in there if you like, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's really helpful. And, and, and I'm sure like the size um, and of the church itself uh, really lends itself. The medium is the message in terms of it lends itself to how the community uh, works together and lives yeah. together as the people of God. Uh, so like, as you said, you've, you've spent some time pastoring a small church. You were, you were 10 years with Kindersley Alliance uh, Church. I and um, I mean, you have a, a very interesting resume. And if anyone wants to look you up on LinkedIn, they can learn a little bit more about it. I mean, you've been a worship pastor registrar for a seminary, a youth pastor. But but what I really want to get at today is, is the question is, why small church? Why is this work so very important to you? Well, I think I, if, if I could start just personally, uh, I, I grew up in, uh, on a farming, uh, on a farm, I guess, for the first for a few years of my life. My dad mm-hmm. uh, farmed just outside of a place called Kindersley, Saskatchewan. He took over the homestead that his uh, grandfather had farmed in night started in 1909 and the grandfather actually helped start a church now anytime you start a church it's often small church particularly in this case it was a frontier small church with many people just coming from ontario particularly and so small church has always been part of my my bones if you want to say that part of my parents bones and so that sort of stuck with me I think another reason why I love small church is that you grow up in a small church. Sometimes I think you can parachute into a larger church and you parachute back out. A small church tends towards growing up, relationship, uh, intergenerational ministry. Many of the things that we're looking for in churches are already there in the small church. And the model of the small church uh, is is amazing. Now, Mm. Fun thing about small churches is the the strengths are also often the weaknesses. And so all of the good things that are there can implode. But when a small church is really thriving, you've got nothing like it for reaching out into a community and for reaching into people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in my pastoral career, I've, I've, pastored as either, you know, in different pastoral roles in churches mm-hmm. of different sizes. I, the first one I was part of was a church of 130. Um, and so I've been in churches of 130 and then 500 and then <laughs> 1300 and then uh, a big mega church of o- over 2000 and then yeah. back down to planting a small church again. And it, it is just a different type of church and it's not better or it's worse it's just no. got its it's it's unique characteristics about it and it plays a very unique role um in the lives of believers and you, I'm, I'm thinking about the the recent study by rick heimstra uh significant church and i, I know you had him on your podcast and yes. uh, we'll invite our listeners to know a little bit more about that podcast near the end um but the study looks at the needs of canadian evangelical small churches and and you had a chance to look at this and you had a chance to 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 dive a little bit deeper with Rick. Uh, 
And I, th- I found the title very interesting, um, and I, I think it's chosen with a purpose. They call it the very significant so. church study. Um, tell me a little bit about why they they would choose that that title. They, as as the group was uh, putting this together, the I believe eleven partners that were working together, they talked about well, what do we call this? And uh, the statement came up at one point. Well, the small church has for many years been considered to be the stepping point, the moving up point, not necessarily the significant mm. point at which a person goes yeah. to ministry. And they said, but that's not true. Really, the small church is very significant. And if you look through history, you find small churches provide leadership across the board. Uh, the Those who go out, those who have become uh, a part of large organizations have been part of small churches. Also, small, well, I could go on and on about small churches and how significant they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The title just stuck that yeah. instead of saying you have to be a mega church to be significant, you don't have to be a mega church to be significant. Instead of saying you have to be some other type of church, you can be a small church and be significant. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I think there's such a move for uh, people to get platformed um, yeah. as a result of this social media age. And uh, small oh. churches don't tend to get platformed a whole lot. And so they they, <laughs> they tend to be seen as insignificant. But I think, you know, the American studies would say that over 50% of people who are followers of Jesus attend a small church. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a large percentage of the population. And I think that number is probably similar or higher here in Canada. I mean, we don't would, have the same yeah, population I, densities. That that would be the the suggestion. And, and as as more and more research is done, you can you can look across Canada and just say, yeah, there are a lot of small churches. They form denominations. They form groups and networks. Uh, they're very significant across the world, yeah. across Canada. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you kind of probed uh, Rick Heimstra a little mm-hmm. bit more, what were some of the things that stood out to you about the study uh, from the Significant Church well, study? I, yeah, I, I think one of the first things that, that Rick and Lindsay, um, uh, Lindsay Calloway, who also worked with the study, yes. uh, mentioned was that if you're going to work in a small church, particularly in a leadership role and as a pastor, you have to understand there's what's called the Congregational Covenant. There's something that's there that are the expectations, often unwritten, Mm. in fact, Mm. most often unwritten. If you can understand that, if you can know the people well and understand what the congregational covenant is for you and for ministry, you will do well in uh, in ministering in a local church. It also, understanding the congregational covenant, also allows the people within the church, as you express that to each other, to begin to understand, hey, here's what we're about. Here's where we're going. Here's here's our vision. Um, the Congregational Covenant is formed over time. And uh, as I was talking with Rick and Lindsay, they, they were anecdotally saying, you know, if you haven't got about seven years in a church, you probably are still trying to figure out what the Congregational Covenant is. Maybe after seven, hmm. you're starting to actually affect that covenant. Uh, as as that goes on, I think another thing that was interesting was that um, the, the question of are the are small church pastors being trained? Right. Yeah. And boy, that's a, that that was a, a question that constantly 
came up uh, amongst the study and I'm finding is coming up amongst various denominations. They're asking the question at this point, are there training institutes, places that can put uh, together an understanding of what a small church really needs from a pastor? A lot of seminaries, Bible colleges, other places do a lot of good teaching, uh, exegesis. A lot of that is very important. But do they teach you a number of the other things, which I would call the experiential? Uh, I have changed plumbing um, <laughs> at church. Yeah. <laughs> or, or made sure at least the drip wasn't there when I was finished. So uh, it, it, it is something that, that, is, that goes beyond just uh, management type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and I think it's true that uh, across the board, generally speaking, uh, Bible colleges and seminaries are heavy on biblical theological training, mm-hmm. but not, not always on, on the practical. I, I, I know at, at Briarcrest right now, our, our undergrad program is um, going under a strategic program review because yeah. we want to try and remedy some of those challenges. And, and, and it was interesting. I, the, the study was conducted during COVID, yeah. I noticed, right? So in yes. 2019 to 2022. Um, and then and then one of the things they, they that the respondents said regarding this theological training is, is uh, they weren't, they didn't feel they were prepared for leading change, leading boards mm-hmm. and managing church politics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, somebody teach us how to do church politics. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, how do you navigate those polarities that you find yeah. in congregations? And 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 uh, I think COVID was just kind of a catalyzer of those things that may have been undercurrents in yeah. congregational life, and then suddenly just brought it to the surface. And and leaders were scrambling, how do I deal with it? And and it's probably more in your face. Uh, in a small church environment, as opposed to say in a mega church, because you have degrees of separation. I mean, I've been the executive pastor of a, of a mega church, and you 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 feel like you're there are layers between you and the average congregant in in, in yeah. many ways because you're 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 working with leaders who are working with leaders, etc. But but in a small church environment, you you don't have that. You you are as you say working on the plumbing in somebody's home. <laughs> well, you know, communal leadership is what a small church is all about. And if, yeah. if you if you don't understand that and can't work within a community and work together with others, uh, you're going to be in big big trouble as far as as pastoring a small church or leading in a in a small church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else from the study that uh, you, you thought yeah. was worth mentioning? I, I I think I found the the interesting thought that networking is really vital for. Uh, particularly as we were talking about leadership in in a small church, the solo pastor is oftentimes the norm or even the multivocational pastor, the one who is doing many different things. They need, we need people to be talking to that we network with. I, I live in a town now, I'm retired. I was asked to stay with the ministerial and I have, I love it. But part of the reason why I stay with ministerial is both to discuss what's going on in the church, but also discuss what's going on in your own life. And yeah. if you haven't got that in a small church, um, a little different than just the, the congregation is, that you're dealing with, uh, you're going to find that, that you will not be encouraged as much as you could be in a, in a network and networking with other churches. And so that's been fun. I've, yeah. I enjoy that. The other thing that Lindsay 
Callaway made a, a good point of uh, in the podcast that, that I did with him. She says, part of the thing about small churches is that you get wound up in them and hmm. tightly wound so that you don't take time off. You don't perhaps give the time to the family that you should. You don't set boundaries because it's all there. It, it right. seems to all be urgent, but you need to. You've got to, You've got to take that time. You've got to set those boundaries. Yeah, I mean, and particularly in a rural context, I mean, you can't walk across the street without bumping into somebody from your church, and uh, it's like being a doctor. You know, everybody's got uh, an ailment that they'd love the doctor to talk talk to the doctor about. Oh yes, uh, but you're you're more of a spiritual doctor, and, and people <laughs> will talk about things or you know, talk about church issues, and it's hard to shut that off. I, I mm-hmm. can imagine. Yeah, I think they said like sixty two percent of uh, of respondents said that they had. They worked less. Uh, they took less than one day a week off, so they're yes. not even sabbathing yeah. and resting, yeah. uh, in in that sense. Um, you know, and and, and, I, and I appreciate you saying that about the networking idea and that need for those uh, additional relationships. And uh, is it is it true that that's probably one of the reasons why your organization exists is to help create those networks? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, we have we, we have just begun uh, a network uh, dealing with. Canadian small churches um, looking at uh, trying to find ways to to help, and I I don't you can have too many networks in that you become over involved or 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 spread yourself too thin. Yeah, but I tend to think that in small churches uh, we get so involved that we forget that we need a network, and so um, there is a small church connections here in Canada has started a network where they'll also use that as a, a way to resource people, to talk to them, and that type of thing as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's vital. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, I, and I think that's a part of that is even a social trend that's mm-hmm. happened in the last few decades, is fewer and fewer adults actually have close relationships and friends. Um, and I can imagine that's even magnified in a small church context, in a small community, yeah. where there are so many things you're keeping close to your chest that you cannot talk about with people from your congregation. Uh, but you need those other people in your lives that you can unburden with. And uh, that's really hard to find unless you're intentional, unless you take the yes. time to do it. Very yeah. much so. Intentionality is, well, as with anything, if you aren't intentional, uh, you aim for nothing and you get nothing. So, yeah, yeah that's right. That's a problem. <laughs> Uh, you know, what, what are some of the other unique challenges um, in your experience facing small churches today? Well, I think there's always the challenge of uh, resources. And that means people, finances, small churches. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's just something that, that's always there. Having to define mm. ministry uh, based on your base, which is not large. Um you can't you can't do as many things so it's a great challenge but at the same time it also lets you say well then let's focus on one thing let's really do this well and reach into Mm. a community and and not spread ourselves too thin but say here's what we're going to do in in this particular community i can point out to you the church that is social programs oriented that that will be the food bank and all that sort of stuff i can point out to you another church that is strong on theology and teaching and discipleship. I can point. So 
these small churches have said, well, we can't do everything, so let's just let's do something <laughs> and, right, and get that right. done. I think the other one that that is arising more, we had a period, a time period where almost every church said we have to have a full time pastor. Even small right. churches were were pushing for that. We we all wanted full time pastors, but in the current economy, uh, multi vocational. Uh, a lot of side hustles, gigs, whatever term you want to use, is where pastors are at. They're, you're going to find that they're going to have another job, which then leads to a new challenge for a lot of small churches, which is to say the loyalty that you could expect out of a pastor whom you're paying full time is no longer the only loyalty that that pastor has. There are other right. things that they're involved in. Um the family is there. There are so many things that, that the church finally has to back off and say, how much can we require? Or, put it another way, how can we help the pastor to be the best person that he can be in amongst all these things that he's doing or she's doing? Yeah. And, I've, and I say that very purposely because I'm watching as well. There are a lot more women who are able to step up and say with great authority and wisdom, hey, I can be part of this. I should be part of this. We've held off in many small churches over the years, um, accepting in that, uh, I guess I'll call it help, that we needed. And so now we're, we're much more open to um, multivocational and many different and diverse um, People that are, are available to help, and I I could go. There's there's a whole a whole thing here. I'd love to go into, but yeah, yeah, I, that's well, gonna take way too long. Yeah, I mean, there are so many factors that are contributing to that um, decreased revenues for yeah. churches, so that they can support a pastor. I mean, if the congregation is aging, for example, um, then your congregation is older; they're on fixed income. They don't have the same ability to give, uh, and I think that's something that's a, a lot of small churches are experiencing. Yes. Maybe in more rural contexts, the congregations are aging out; um, they're reaching the age, end of their life cycle, and there's you know a need for rebirth. There's so many contributing factors there. Um, I think that's. That's a challenge. Is it, is it a challenge in rural settings to do the co-vocational um, work as a pastor because it, opportunities to work might not be there as much? Or have, have the, you noticed that? The it seems the opportunities are there, uh, particularly as a pastor um, comes in and is willing to work within a community. Some of them find that this is the best way to get into a community is to say, I come as a co-vocational, multi-vocational yeah. person. Um, I'm well, I can think of the example literally across the street from me, a pastor who came in, um, loves working with cars, uh, has has worked in a metal scrapyard previously and therefore is accepted readily into that job situation, but also accepted readily as a person who isn't just the pastor in town but yeah he knows how to make how to fix cars he knows how to deal with scrap and and he yeah it, it yeah it's a very helpful thing right i 
in a, in a former life, I, I was able to work with a, a number of church planters who were starting in a small church context. They were they basically had a congregation of 15 or 20 people. And so they had to be co-vocational in order to do it. But yeah. there was always this mindset uh, with a number of them that I really can't wait to be done this co-vocational gig so that I can be full-time and really pastor. Uh, but missing out on this this understanding is, hey, you are actually in the community on mission, able to rub shoulders with people far from God, and uh, to to be salt and light, and and to you know have the opportunity to share and to be a witness um, with people. So, I mean, that is pastoral ministry, and, and I think the future of church planting is is certainly going to be much more uh, co-vocational uh, pastoral ministry um, with uh, yeah with with two jobs or maybe three jobs. Even. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, uh, I'll, I'll give a, a short story. Uh, I retired out of being a full-time pastor uh, and became have become somewhat of a side hustle guy and actually right. reaching out much more effectively. I, I have library background, so I've been a librarian in the last while. I've, I've done the pastor thing. I also write uh, for our local social media. I, so when I walk downtown, people actually say, hi, Ron. And I say, hi, I'm glad to see you. Because yeah, I yeah. I know who they are. <laughs> but there's, there's been an influence that has happened. Right. Well, they probably talk to you in the streets because they can't talk to you in the library. Because you're not you allowed go. to yeah. talk in the library, right? So, <laughs> Yeah. Quiet, quiet, quiet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there, there is a there is a trend that I've noticed um, uh, for younger leaders to, you know, kind of leave the farm, leave the small town, move to the larger center, um, and to start maybe new churches or be part of large multiplying movements, or you know, there there, there is a certain enticement towards that. Um, but you've pastored a small church, and 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 I and I want to I want to maybe give you an opportunity to share with some of our uh, younger listeners um, who are thinking about ministry and and thinking about maybe what's the next season looking like for them. Uh, and, and answer this question: Why should anyone consider pastoring a small church? I would start with uh, saying that a small church is relational; it's people, hmm. and for that reason you're going to find that your, if you want to call it measure of success, is people over the long term. Um, programs come and go, and they can go up and down. The fun part that I have is that I can look back, having been in a small church, started in a small church, finishing in a small church, uh, I could go back 30, 40 years, and the words that I spoke and the mentoring and discipleship that I put into those people because that was where I was at. That was what the relationship of a small church allows. They talk to me 30, 40 years later, and they say, that affected me. I remember Hmm. this. This was part of. To me, that was the greatest success. That that is the greatest success. If people haven't been changed, if there hasn't been a transformation in people's lives— uh, through your ministry, and all you've done is provide programs and uh, events as helpful as they are and as useful as they are, then I, th- I think you've missed something. And a small hmm. church provides that that opportunity. That small, and, and most of what I would say about the reason why you want to sm- take on a small church and be part of that comes back to relationship and to people and to their um they're reaching out to God and understanding who Jesus is 
and seeing that modeled by you, um, yeah, that's, I, I, I suppose I could talk about other things like, you know, you get free zucchini in your back seat. <laughs> when the season's there. I mean, that's all part of small church. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there is a beauty to a small church and, and being part of a community and mm-hmm. uh, that, that interconnectedness that's... Um, that's not always there. You know, I was, I was, I, I've recently moved to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, which mm-hmm. is a city of like 35,000. It's very, very rural influenced, uh, agrarian economy here. Um, and, uh, I mean, I was born and raised in Moose Jaw, but I've lived in like Toronto. I've lived in Edmonton, you know, so I've been gone for about 25 years and now I'm back into a smaller setting. And, you know, I'll go to a Canadian tire and, uh, the Canadian Tire that's in the city, yeah, the and, they're, and they're selling flowers, and everyone there is it's a, it's a different ethos. Like people are like we went there when there was this significant flower sale going on, and there's everyone's kind, everyone's talking to each other, they're all chatting, they're all stopping, they're having a relationship. Um, and then a week later, I found myself in Edmonton. I'm, I'm downtown Edmonton. I'm going to meet a friend for coffee. And and people are just rushing by. Nobody's looking at each other. Nobody's talking. And I, I think there's something to say about that, uh, the, the effect that anonymity has on interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Yeah. In a city, the person I meet on the street, I just assume that I probably never again see this person in my life. Or the chances are is like one in 100,000, you know, that I'll ever see this person. But the person I'm bumming into at the local Canadian Tire and I'm rubbing shoulders with, I might see that person next week. And they might even live on my street or I might, you know, I might bump into them at a choir or, you know, who knows, right? And and so there's this, you can't be anonymous in, right. in a smaller context. And that, that changes the the way that you relate with people because you can't just write them off as, as like widgets or cogs in some, you know, machine. They're, they're people that are just, you're just rubbing shoulders with. And, and I think the smaller the context becomes that you're part of, um, the more it just invites you into this interpersonal relationship. It's, it's necessitated by that, just by the context that you find yourself in. Um, and so I think the beauty of a small church is that uh, it's hard to be anonymous and you have to build relationships. And, and there's a beauty about that because your lives start becoming enmeshed in a good way, in the best yes. sense of the word, um, where you, there's, there's a type of interaction there, as opposed to, you know, kind of coming and going, being anonymous, sitting in the back pew, checking out real early and, and getting into your car and going for Christian chicken afterwards. Um, mm-hmm. It's a bit different. It's a different world. It, it definitely is. Uh, I, it's another small story. The street yeah. that I live on currently in Kindersley, Saskatchewan, small town, uh, has over the years changed. And believe it or not, next door is someone who was in my youth group that I led. Two houses past that is another person who would come to church and youth group and go down about another house. And you come to someone who actually runs the manor in town, the activity center. And this is the block that I can walk and I, I, I can literally wave my hand at these people that I've known hmm. uh, and that have known me over the years. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. Um, you know, we, we might have some small church pastors um, listening in today. And hey, let, let me just declare. I mean, we're, we're not saying small church is the only church. Uh, we're, you know, on this podcast, we're going to be talking to pastors from a, a variety of different um, church ministry contexts. And uh, all, God is using all of them and God is in all of them. Um, but we're just talking specifically about small church today. Uh, Ron, any, any encouragement to our small church pastors who are listening today? Anything that you uh, want to share with them? 
enjoy. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we tend to feel like we ha- have to progress and be bigger and bigger. And we've, we've discussed that in this already in this podcast. But I think one of the best things pa- small church pastors can do is just sit back and love the people. Enjoy them. Hmm. Uh, party. <laughs> um, you know, we, we sometimes ask ourselves, what are we here for? And we come up with all these amazing visions and we forget that the vision's all about the people. Hmm. So, as a small church pastor, enjoy the people and you'll see that the vision arises, that that you, you grab onto where you want to go. Uh, I think one time, uh, not too long ago, a fellow by the name of Stan Hogan had said to me, um, coming to a church, the elders, uh, he, had, he had consulted some elders as to whether he wanted to be in, in a particular church or wherever. And he says, what, what do I need to do to prepare for that? You know, do I need to take more preaching classes? Do I need to do that? And uh, the elder wisely said, just go in, love the people, just love the people. Hmm. And if you do that and enjoy their presence, um, you'll be a good small church pastor. Yeah, yeah. Good word. Good word. Um, you know, and I, th- I think we want to encourage our small church pastors uh, to get networked, to not do it alone, yep. to, um, you know, and and. and Certainly, that's something you can provide. Um, if your denomination or if your your fellowship or whatever you're part of, your association, um, maybe doesn't have those opportunities, uh, they can connect with you guys, and you can you are about that. So, and any any resources you can share that for for people to do that to get connected. Uh, certainly, we uh, I I run a podcast called "This Is Us: Canadian Small Churches in Action." Um, yeah. You can find it on our website, cscmc.ca. Uh, we yeah. also have a YouTube channel, and I also use some other podcasting uh, platforms as well. It's a helpful place just to hear various people from academics to small church pastors. And we've made an effort to actually talk to small church pastors instead of asking people who've talked to small church pastors who've talked to right. them. You know. So we actually talk to them, and, and that's great. There yeah. are a number of resources that uh, we also mention on our website and that you can find and, and link to uh, people that um, are constantly in that whole area of small hmm. churches. So check that out uh, as well on our website. Another um, interesting resource is the pastor next door. Hmm. I, I just spoke with uh, we, we have a United Church pastor in, here in town that's a, a very interesting fellow and I love hanging out with him he's just gone on holidays and uh, he says I'm taking these three books with me I thought wouldn't it be interesting to see what a United Church pastor takes on holidays and so <laughs> I took a, you know I, I took my photo of the pic, of the books that he had in mind and, and yeah. I'm looking at them and I'm thinking wow this is really quite interesting I wonder if Maybe this is a resource I should have been using, even though it's outside of my usual. And so, you know, Pastor Next Door is not a bad resource. So. Okay, so that's available on Amazon, that, probably. 
Yeah, uh, yeah probably. <laughs> I, I have a few books available on Amazon as well. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it. Just I thought I would pull this one up. Uh, this is <laughs> yes. This is a yes. A recent book that uh, I took the podcast. I uh, had two students at Eston College, and I uh, went through and sifted through the podcasts that were done during COVID. Interesting stuff where they talked about multiculturalism and the accelerating of of COVID, saying saying to to small church pastors, "Hey, this is what the real problem was. You didn't see it, but COVID brought it out. So now, how do you deal with that?" And well, just a bunch of things. So that is available on Amazon under my name, Ron Baker, or This Is Us Canadian Small Churches, the COVID years. Um, how much more advertising do I get here, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put that in the show notes. And, oh, I, and I will say for our, for our listening audience, yeah. I do have a copy of that book. I haven't cracked it yet, but I plan to. Yeah, um, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, particularly, I have a vested interest. One of the uh, authors, co-authors there was uh, a nephew of mine. So yes, yes, uh, I'm great excited guy. to read it for his sake as well. So, um yeah, no, that's great. Uh, so we will, again, we'll make all of that available in our show notes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we're running out of time here, Ron. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for the work that you do with small churches. It is a vital work. It is a significant work uh, here in, in Canada. So appreciate all that you do. And thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed this very much. Thanks, Rob. All right. Blessings to you. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 